I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's the Clash of the Titans. Welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast that sees two movies with something in common go head-to-head to see which one does it better on this week's first ever Halloween Countdown Show. In the red corner... Why not visit Scotland? It's magnificent highlands, it's untamed coastlines, it's islands full of bloody heathens! Edward Woodward gets a red-hot lesson in not sticking his nose in where it doesn't belong, as his Christian values are put to the test, and then some from 1973. It's the Wicker Man. I could a tale unfold whose lightest word would harrow up thy soul. Freeze thy young blood. I am here to investigate the disappearance of a young girl. Where is Rowan Morrison? If Rowan Morrison existed, we would know of him. I suspect murder. Sergeant, I've already told In the name of God, woman, what kind of mother are you? That can stand by and see your own child slaughtered. While in the blue corner... Scotland is out and America is in as Nicolas Cage finds himself in hot wicker looking for his missing daughter on an island packed with a matriarchal society of neo-pagans and bees. Lots of bees. Sure, it doesn't have the best reputation, but is it really that bad? We'll find out because from 2006, it's the Wicker Man. Afternoon. Sorry about that. It's okay. I'll get it. Give me your hand! Edward, I know that we haven't spoken in a few years. I need your help. I need your help. I have a 
Her name is Rowan. She has been missing for two weeks now. So, what connects these two films, and which one does it better? Let's find out. It's Clash of the Titles Halloween Countdown. Release the Kraken. Hello, Clash Potters. Do sit down. Shocks are so much better absorbed with the knees bent. I'm Alex Zane. I'm Chris Tilly. And Victoria is off this week, but we are joined by a very special guest and the perfect man to ease us into our month-long series of Halloween countdown shows. It's the director of Fright Fest and all-round horror oracle, the brilliant Paul McAvoy! Hey, guys, thank you so much for inviting me. Hey, it's really, really good to have you here. Um, So let's start with Fright Fest, because obviously uh, I'm a big fan, Uh, Chris is an even bigger fan. I'm wearing a T-shirt. Did you have you noticed? I've noticed it. Thank you very much. Came prepared. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Alex. Shock up. <laughs> um, so tell us what what is going on this year. Obviously, the world is in a very different place to last year. What's the plan? Yeah. Well, the the deal is um, August obviously should have been a physical event, which is our historic five days, massive thing, Empire Leicester Square and Prince Charles. That didn't happen, so we had to do a digital edition. We are hoping that the physical edition is going to go ahead, which is due to be the end of October. Mm. But with the current restrictions, etc., that might have to bleed into a combo of digital and physical. So at the moment, we're just waited, waiting to hear. Yeah, we're recording this a couple of weeks before it goes live. And so, I mean, my advice would be just check the Frightfest website yeah, please, for the latest news. But what's it been like trying to organise a festival during COVID? An absolute nightmare. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Scarier than any horror film we've ever shown. Um <laughs> We just have to get on with it. I mean, the community is so strong. The fan base is so incredible. We have to do something. And luckily, as I just mentioned, the August one, which we did purely digital, the online um, community was incredible. Yeah, and it worked. It worked amazingly as well. I I, I caught the last three days, I think. And, it it, uh, you know, it it went very smoothly when those things can be all over the place, can't they? I think... Yeah, Yeah, so... But nothing beats, obviously, the, the communal feeling of being in the cinema watching the best film or the worst film all at the same time and going out and talking about it down the pub. So things, if if we do do the physical, but let's hope we can do, it It won't be the same, but it will be some form of a community spirit. Yeah. Agreed. And you just said the best film and the worst film. Mm-hmm. That could be a good trailer for what we're talking about this week. Yeah, it could. <laughs> I was also thinking uh, when you described organising a festival in times of COVID as scarier than any horror movie you've ever seen, you do realise we are doing the Wicker Man remake this week. <laughs> yes, so that, yes. that, that Thank I mean, you, Alex. Yeah. Yes, I, I rewatched it yesterday. So yes. <laughs> <laughs> right, because I did pick uh, this, uh, what I'm calling Pagan Punch-Up Pairing for our first Halloween countdown show. We are doing a month of horror on Clash Pop to celebrate the greatest festival of the year, Halloween. So the clue I gave you last week was, Woody, are you okay? You're burning up. And Chris <laughs> followed that on Twitter uh, with, it's getting hard in here, so take off all your robes. Uh, <laughs> both excellent clues. Uh, now, we can't read out the winner. Uh, as of now, because we're recording this in advance, as Chris said, so everything I just said hasn't yet come to pass, but rest assured we will make a big deal out of whoever won on Twitter, where we are, at ClashPod. So shall we discuss 
the connections uh, to this uh, pairing that I've picked. And for the first time ever, I think this section could be described as the obsolete section. Is this the first time we've done a remake and an original? Ah, Mm. because we did talk about that right at the start. We did. uh, when When we were coming up with the idea of Clash of the Titles. So I'm surprised it's taken us this long. And we've picked so diametrically opposed uh, films of quality. But I did. (laughs) I disagree. (laughs) I'm going to say it now. I disagree. You're a big fan of the original Wicker Man, aren't you? I do like it, yeah. Vicky described it to me as your favourite horror movie of all time. Is that true? Let's not show our cards. All right. All right. Sorry. (laughs) Jeez. But that's a a cracking clue. Right. (laughs) I, I found... Quite, a, you have to get into the right mindset for the Wicker Man remake. I was just saying to Paul on the walk here that I really hope Alex doesn't like it because I think we can have much more fun because it, it is a, it's not a film that everyone likes. You know, there's a, there's a lot, there's a lot of weird in this film. There's a lot to challenge. Mm. So this is the original you're talking yes. about. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Let's. Uh, well, let's let's get into it. Does anyone have a connection that I might not have well, written in front of me? Based on something we did a couple of weeks ago. Um, we could have paired this with Interstellar because they're both films about crops failing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we could have done. That would be interesting. Um, uh, both films with very different director's cuts, which we're going to get into mm. on both on both fronts because they totally changed the movie um, when, you, when you see the director's cuts. One thing that connects them is the name of the islands, but you know that they're slightly different, the names? Yeah, mm. I had to go through my entire notes and, and re, re-jig them because I was going to read it out. Yeah, Summer, Summer Isle and Summer's Isle. Summer's Isle. So, yeah, yeah, and I listened to the Neil Boot commentary because it was he wrote and directed the remake and he says that he decided to change Summer Isle to Summer's Isle uh, because he thought it sounded better and was way easier to say. He then proceeds to get it wrong on multiple occasions <laughs> on the commentary, completely contradicting himself. Um, while we're on the subject of uh, pronunciation, you're going for Neil Laboot. I, I've been in my head... Neil Labute. I would say Labute. Okay, great. Well, not Labute. No. Labute. Labute. Neil Labute. Yeah. Um, we're going for Neil Labute, but I'm not going to tell you how to pronounce it. You want to go for Neil Labute? I didn't realise I'd done that. Yeah, you did, yeah. Neil the Butte. Butte. Yeah, okay, good, good. Just checking. Just checking. I want us all to be on the same page <laughs> okay. until we actually get into major disagreements about these films. Uh, so, ooh, Chris, um, I gave you the original Wicker Man. Mm-hmm. Uh, Victoria isn't here. Uh, she had the remake. Uh, if she is not back on Thursday, then uh, I will be dealing with that. Uh, but in the meantime, Chris, uh, take us on a journey. You've spoiled my introduction, Alex, because you used my opening line in your introduction as well. Which was what? Do sit down, listener, as shocks are so much better absorbed with the knees bent. (laughs) This is the story of the original 40-year-old virgin, a deeply religious police officer who journeys to a Scottish island in search of a missing girl called Rowan Morrison. Sergeant Howie hunts for Rowan, but the locals claim there is no girl. He finds Rowan's grave, but there is no body. I understand you're looking for a missing girl. I found her. Splendid. In her grave. Your lordship is a justice of the peace. I need your permission to exhume her body, have it transported to the mainland for a pathologist's report. You suspect uh, foul play? I suspect murder and conspiracy to murder. The island tempts him with sex, but he rebuffs the advances of Britt Eklund's stunt bum. (laughs) Then the locals suggest he leave, but Howie does not, because the sergeant believes that Rome will be murdered to appease the ancient gods for the next harvest. But the joke is on him, as Rowan is alive and well. Instead, Howie is the island's intended victim, a virginal, God-fearing man who has come of his own free will, 
a lawman who possesses the power of a king, and a fool whom they've led on a merry dance. And so Howie is introduced to his fiery fate, burning alive in the Wicker Man. A rare gift these days. A martyr's death. Come, it is time to keep your appointment with the Wicker Man. You are the fool, Mr. Harvey. You are liars. You are despicable little liars. So I've done quite a detailed synopsis there because I'm going to talk through this film in a slightly different way uh, when we get to it. Um, maybe not so plot focused. Uh, but Paul, when was the first time you saw The Wicker Man? What's your history with this film? I think I must have seen it in my very early teens. Um, it scared me. I mean, it, it, even rewatching it yesterday, the ending is just so terrifying. Mm. Um, and you kind of... There's all the camp stuff, which we'll get to, the camp stuff and the music stuff. The, the final images of the film are devastating. So, And was this a video watch for you or did you see it in a cinema? Th- oh, definitely a video watch. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, the interesting thing, uh, one of the interesting things about the film in the UK was it came out as a double bill with my absolute favourite horror film of all time, <laughs> Don't Look Now. Mm. And what a night out of the cinema that must have been <laughs> I know. For, for couples or, you know, Fancy coming to see a film of the pictures. Yeah, we're going to see Wicker Man. The most downbeat ending. Oh, followed by Don't Look Now. Even bleaker. Even bleaker. What a, what a double bill. Yeah, it, although so, it wasn't meant to be. Uh, well, it was only a double bill because no one had any faith in the Wicker Man, so yeah. they stuck it with Don't yeah. Look Now. Yeah. Which is, um, yeah, which apparently it was even doubly offensive because at the point where they did that... They'd stopped doing A B movies. They that yeah. whole like that template for how they released horror movies had ended and then they brought it back because <laughs> the Wicker Man they had so little faith in. How about you, Alex? Uh, first watch. First watch. First wow. watch for me. Wow. Yeah. Which is a shame because for exactly the reason that you just sort of described first seeing that ending, I, I didn't have that because obviously in the previous decades, it has dawned on me uh, the information that he dies a fiery death in The Wicker Man at the end. So knowing that kind of ruins the punchline to a very long setup mm. to a joke because mm. you're like, I, mm. well, I kind of know what's going to happen in the end. I did try and imagine what it was like seeing that for the first time, having had no idea that that was going to happen. And I think it would have been mind did you not? Did you not find the imagery at the end disturbing, though, when he sees The Wicker Man in its glory yeah. for the first time? yeah. What- I think what the clever thing they do the first time you watch it, though, if you don't know, is you think you're one step ahead of 
the locals like Howie does. Mm. You're you're on you're on that trail for Rowan, and so that's that's they kind of throw you off a little bit there, even though they're giving you all the clues watching it a second time. Yeah, um, and I think it is a shame actually. If you now, if you look at posters, video covers, they're all showing you the final image. Yeah, and it's some huge spoiler. So yeah. I am kind of sad that I think a lot of people coming to this film now. Um, Will have will know what's coming, or God forbid, will have seen the Nick Cage one first and spot uh, <laughs> on that front. But uh, no, I didn't do that. I watched. I did watch them back to back, but right. I watched them original then remake, which was a sort of really hellish experience for <laughs> numerous reasons, which we'll get into. But that bit that you mentioned, where Edward Woodward's face when yeah. he sees the Wicker Man. And the conviction of his acting well, in, the, in those final sequences, you know, the, the Lord's my shepherd and all that kind of stuff. Because <laughs> he'd never seen it, though. He'd never seen Apparently, he'd never seen The Wicker Man. He'd been shown oh. drawings of it, but they wanted to reveal the actual giant Wicker Man that they'd built to him. Which is the conceit they used, obviously, for Alien. Right! Your best, your favourite film. So they, they, they kept a lot of stuff in the, mir- the, the smoke and mirrors yeah. until the reveal. So yeah, yeah, yeah. what a brilliant thing. So let's talk a bit about the background to this film. Um, Studio Canal brought out a Blu-ray a few years ago that's got a couple of great um, documentaries on it, The Wicker Man Enigma and Burnt Offerings presented by Mark Kermode and there's some great commentaries and there's there's a great book about The Wicker Man so there's lots of information out there. Um, I've tried to pull together the best of it because it is quite. it has got quite a dense history as right. Ingrid Pitt who plays a librarian. It, um, I'm interested to see how you do this because I, <laughs> I tried to do a little bit of reading around this and then I went, Good luck, Chris. It's just pages and pages and pages <laughs> Bibles and on this. Um, she says that there's a black cloud that hangs over this film, um, and it did from the very beginning. And it's certainly one of the British film industry's most colourful making of stories. There's sort of lies and deception. and But everyone involved said it was a film that couldn't be contained. But it started with a consortium of sorts. It, it kicked off really with Christopher Lee, um, he felt typecast um, in the Hammer Horror films. He'd just done his swinging 60s Dracula movie, Dracula AD 72, and he just had enough, but he thought he could use his cachet to make something a bit more interesting. So he set up a consortium with writer Anthony Schaefer, producer Peter Snell, and director Robin Hardy. And they purchased the rights to a book called Ritual by David Pinner. And that's about a Puritan policeman who is called to a village in Cornwall to investigate what happens, what appears to be the ritual murder of a young girl. Have you ever read Ritual? No. Um, I've seen The Ritual. It's not Mm, that. Right, cool. Um, But this one was much more about Satanism. And it's funny. You know what? In all these documentaries, everyone is disagreeing with each other, which is interesting. (laughs) And and so... um, Who have you you gone with then? Have you picked a favourite? You've gone, I trust him the most or her. They've used Pinner's plot, but Schaefer says that it was the book didn't work. I built on his idea and has nothing to do with this book. But what I just said is basically um, the synopsis for The Wicker Man. Uh, But he decided to make it about paganism and sacrifice. He studied the May Day festivals used their rituals in his script. Um, he found an illustration in a book that inspired the finale. Uh, whether that, that stuff really happened in the past or not, he thought, doesn't matter, I've got it. This is what I need. Um, but he also wanted to dress it up as a detective story because Anthony Schaefer wrote Sleuth. And Sleuth is you know, a famous old film with um, Laurence Olivier, Michael Caine, that plays games with its characters and games with its audience. And so he turned The Wicker Man into a game with the entire community playing that trick on Howie and the audience, which certainly worked on me the first time I saw it. I guess it worked on you. Yeah, absolutely. Saw right through it. Saw right through it, yeah. (laughs) From the get-go, I was like, no way, he's going to die at the end. Obvious. There's not much to the casting of the film because Lee was there from the beginning, um, but uh, Peter Cushing is the interesting thing. He was wanted for Howie. 
uh, but due to other commitments, he couldn't do it. And I think that would have been weird watching a Peter Cushing, Christopher Lee double because we've seen yeah. him so many times yeah. in so many other roles. Yeah, I read also uh, on one of the many sites that may or may not be the truth, because like you say, it's almost difficult to work out what the mm. truth is with this film. David Hemmings and Michael York were also considered for the oh, role. Interesting. Of Howie. Yeah, I could see it. Mm. But Callan was big at the time, um, the TV series of which I watched my first ever episode this week as research. Mm. Very slow. TV's changed a lot. <laughs> Uh, but Edward Woodward was bordering on a household name, and so uh, they cast him. And uh, Britt Eklund is maybe the other most interesting person. She was a big celebrity at the time because of her marriage to Peter Sellers. Um, they said she looked the part of Willow but didn't sound the part, so they dubbed her. Um, Although the director says we didn't dub her entirely, but if you watch the film, they did dub her entirely. <laughs> yeah, it's that's one of the worst parts about it because her dubbing is bad, mm. really bad. Like, so it's one of those dubbings where it's so noticeable that you're like, what's that, that's so? That's... It almost adds to the off kilter nature of the film, though. I yeah. think because Ingrid Pitt's dubbed in it as well. Yes, she? yeah, yeah, so, yeah. And obviously, we're going to get to. Brett's bum. Yeah. Which yeah. is also dubbed. <laughs> What's quite good, though, about uh, uh, Britt Eklund, uh, she's been very vocal about it, so there's plenty, plenty of stuff mm-hmm. to talk about there. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm going to get onto that with the locations because they shot the movie in Dumfries and Galloway in Scotland, uh, which Britt called the most dismal <laughs> place in creation, <laughs> which apparently did not ingratiate her with the locals, yeah. um, and the producers had to apologise uh, for her words. And she also added that she found the town to be full of hard drinking and illegitimate Intimacy. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds all right. <laughs> uh, but it, it's supposed to take pray, place in the build-up to May, um, the Wicker Man in May, rather. Uh, it's supposed to be spring, supposed to be blossoms on the tree, fertility in the air. So they, Scot- they shot it in Scotland in October, meaning they had rain, sleet, snow and knee-deep mud. So they spent the whole of the shoot chasing the sun. They had people running around with apple trees behind the camera to, to, to get in front of it. And apparently they um, the director said they put ice in the extras mouths so they wouldn't steam and an old wow. uh, an old school technique yeah yeah it's true uh, <laughs> that's what they were going to do on titanic before jim cameron had the technology to remove it all with cgi <laughs> so oh, and add it with cgi sorry yeah <laughs> and uh exorcist they did the opposite they refrigerated the set didn't they in the exorcist when i was a zombie in uh, Land of the Dead. Oh, this doesn't come up very often. <laughs> <laughs> we have a guest. New, uh, there is new blood. Oh, oh, <laughs> new blood for one of my anecdotes. <laughs> so when I was a zombie in um, uh, the George Romero movie Land of the Dead, yes. uh, we were shooting in Toronto in December, and it is genuinely the coldest I've ever fucking been in my life. It mm. was unbelievably cold. But obviously, zombies are dead. So you can't see zombie breath. And so we had to do this sort of zombie shuffle forwards, which lasted about 45 seconds. And we were asked to hold our breath for that whole time. And uh, as a smoker, 45 seconds holding my breath. It's not easy. But by the end, I was like, the minute they went, all right, and cut. I was like, oh, God. So, yeah, it's another technique there. I mean, how long did you spend on that set? About three days. Three days. Yeah. Wow. How many anecdotes have we got left from those three days? Just, Ooh, I mean, we've had really, it's just a t- tip of the iceberg, to be perfectly honest. There's wow. still a lot to come. Excellent. Well, I'm glad we're in Horror Month on, yeah. on the show. There you go. Um, so let's talk about the film's messy post-production, uh, because British Lion made the movie, uh, but after it was shot, there were changes at the top. A guy called Michael Dealey came in, and he did not know what to do 
with The Wicker Man. Christopher Lee claims that Dealey told him it was one of the 10 worst films he'd ever seen. <laughs> uh, Dealey denies this, says he thought it was indulgent, fascinating, difficult for audiences, genuinely ahead of its time. But he says, I've made much worse films. Um, when did he say that, though? Because that, that, a lot of what you read, and especially with the Neil Butte one, which we'll come on to yeah. later, it sounds like retrospective. It mm-hmm. sounds like people going, it's now revered as one of the greatest British horror movies ever made. Well, what I actually said, everyone, was it's just different. It's just different. <laughs> no. I didn't say bad, I said different. Yeah, that's definitely Dealey, Dealey um, going back on what he said at the time. Um, he, he sent it to Roger Corman, the king of independent uh, cinema in America, because he didn't know what to do with it. And Corman said he thought it was somewhere between an art film and a commercial film, which meant he thought it could be sold to art houses and horror houses. Would you go with that? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. It, that, yeah. Uh, uh, but one of the major studios offered more money than Corman, and so he didn't end up with the distribution rights, so he didn't end up being able to shepherd it into American cinemas. But he did say he thought it was a bit too long. And that's when British Lion brought the editor, Eric Boyd Perkins back into the office one night and told him to remove 15 minutes as quickly as possible so that we can turn it into a B picture against another film they didn't know what to do with. The aforementioned Don't Look Now. Uh, Woodward says it was, Edward Woodward says it was hacked. Hardy says it was sliced up like salami. And Christopher Lee said, I hated what I saw. Which version did you watch in preparation for this show? Because I was going to text everyone, uh, uh, or message as it's called now, because I'm not a dinosaur. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. What, what are the differences between the, the various versions? Which did you watch? I was Well, I was going to message you and go, which should I be watching? Because yeah. I went on Amazon, and they actually, normally Amazon just have one version these days, but they had the final cut, Yeah, and then they had the original cut, and I watched the final cut. Good. I mean, I've got both, and I'm going to talk about both. Okay. So the theatrical cut, cut was 87 minutes, um, th- this version that no one was particularly happy with, and the one that we would have seen first mm. time around. Yep. Uh, and there was this story about the original negative. Apparently that was sent to the vaults at Shepperton. Uh, at the same time, the M3 was being built. Uh, the negative was put with trimmings that they were planning to destroy, dumped into landfill beneath the M3. And so, yeah, we, you pay, people are driving over. The Wicker Man, apparently. Well. Um, Lee, Christopher Lee doesn't believe this. He reckons it exists somewhere and only a few people know where it is. Oh. Um, did Michael Dealey says, you know, things just get put in corners. It's a shame it's this film, though, as it feeds all the loonies. These stories about what happens to films, you know, Event, Event Horizon, the yep. story about like the, the lost 40 minutes yep. of that film. And apparently the story with that goes that they stored it for some reason. Uh, I think they were shooting in maybe Romania and it got stored in a salt mine (laughs) or an old salt mine in Transylvania and the salt eroded all the negatives and that's why we are never going to see. It adds to the mythology, doesn't it? It does. Yeah, and I mean, that's certainly part of the the legend and the myth of of this film. Uh, An American distributor, um, 20 years later, decided that he wanted to uh, restore what he could of the Wicker Man. And Roger Corman was the hero here. He still had his cut that they'd sent him. And so Hardy and Christopher Lee worked on the film and they ended up with the director's cut, which is 94 minutes. And this is when we've got the additional material, but it's all from the start of the film. So the theatrical cut, it starts with him arriving at the island. The director's cut, you've got the day, you've got before he arrives on the island, you've got him at church. You've got him... um, Eating the blood of Christ, drinking the blood of Christ, and eating the body of Christ. You've got him speaking in the parapet. You've you got him. The blood of, you could eat the blood of Christ, but it'd be black pudding. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you've got him uh, looking at. You see that he's got a, a fiance. 
Um, and then he gets the island and the other addition is that he spends two nights on the island in the director's cut. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we get an adi- the, the main thing here is the additional scene where Christopher Lee brings a young boy to Britt Eklund's window uh, so that he can lose his virginity. Right. So rather than her being like an object, um, she she's more like a teacher on this island. Mm. She's more like she's, she she it gives her character a bit more agency rather than being the strumpet that they call her later in the film. Mm. So I so this is the version I saw. So yes, this is the bit so. where she's leaning out of the window yeah, and yeah. He, he's like, "I present to you this young boy." And you and you'll know it is because the quality is is much poorer. I don't know if you mm. noticed the quality goes up and down when you're watching the film yeah, because yeah. of these scenes. And so uh, then there was more footage found in Harvard. And so that became the final cut. But the final and the director's cut aren't really that much different. He reordered some stuff and the, did some things with music. But the final cut is what I watched. Um, and that's the one... Uh, sorry, the director's cut, though, is the one that started breaking house records in America, this new version. And that's how the cult of The Wicker Man was born. And so Woodward says, if properly released at the time, I think it would have been a modest success. But the cult, sm- cult smash it is now is because of the history and the legend that's grown up around it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think you're right. So should we talk about the movie? Bloody let's do it. But let's take a break first. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And welcome back. Um, so normally we talk about the plot, the story a little bit, but I've decided to call this section Weird Shit That Happens in the Wicker Man. Because okay. you know the there's plot. Lots, there's lots of that. You know the plot. I've, I've pulled out 24 things, so let's go in order. Let's have a little discussion. Where are you starting, though? Are you starting in the church at the start? No. Oh, I think you need to start in the church at the start, just because... I, 
because I've, I've got a good point. All right, do it. I'll just do that, and then you can do your 24 points in a row very quickly. <laughs> no, I, the bit at the start, because you know where he's... Um, not only... Because I came from a... It reminded me of my C of E uh, schooling at school. Did either of you go to, like, a, a religious school? No. Not really, yeah. No? So the the it was... Quite painful as a kid because you did have these like people like um, Edward Woodward does gives out this very, very uh, sort of like morbid sermon like the body of Christ, the blood of Christ, and I was watching it going. I think I actually prefer that to what I had to endure at school, which was when reverends and vicars tried to update the Bible for a young crowd in the hope of convincing kids, hey, the Bible's cool. And the one we had, the he used to take. Uh, theme tunes from television shows. So he once started a sermon by going, uh, Neighbours, everybody needs good neighbours. With a little understanding, we can find the perfect plan. Not just the words to a popular soap theme tune, (laughs) but also appropriate from the Bible. And even at that age, you're like, oh, shut the fuck up. I'm going to die of cringe. But the bit at the start, the reason I brought it up is because it's quite interesting. You know, we talked about this, especially on the... um, uh, the Castaway episode, the idea that a, a perfect film structure is supposed to start and end in exactly the same way, mm-hmm. just with a character in a very different place. Your protagonist in a very different place to where he was at the start. So this starts with him in his Christian ceremony, mm-hmm. and he's talking about the sacrifice of Christ. And it ends with him in a pagan ceremony being the sacrifice to the pagan gods. Yeah, he's also talking about Jesus being portrayed. That is what his, his speech is in the parapet. Mm. And obviously he's being portrayed. And I think that's the question I want to put to you guys. Like, which version do you think is better? Because obviously that does tie in with the finale. But the theatrical cut where you don't get this stuff, I feel like you learn, you you very slowly and gradually learn about Howie while he's on the island. I don't know if it's necessary. And I think it might be a bit heavy handed because you do get the clues that he is... um, a Christian man of faith as it, as it goes along. I don't think you learn anything additional in this opening scene. And I don't know. I think it weirdly dates it because once it's on the Island, I feel like you're in, you're in this timeless place. But when, when you're, um, when you're back in Scotland beforehand, I feel like it's just, what do you think, Paul? I I like the foreshadowing Mm. version. Yeah. I, I like, I like the fact that as you, as you rightly say, the beginning is the end, the end is the beginning, but in reverse. So I kind of like that. Yeah, I like but it. I, as well. But I also kind of groove with Chris's idea that you you find your own way, you find the character, mm. you've not presented it all on a plate. So so that's a really difficult one. But mm. I I think I prefer the the foreshadowing. Mm. I like the foreshadowing for the reason that if you don't, for example, know um, how just quite oppressive and depressing mm. uh, a sermon can be mm. in a church, what it does is sort of go actually. What these pagans are doing, which is having a fucking great time on this island, look how fun and freeing yeah, yeah, that is yeah. compared to how fucking boring that is. <laughs> so it sort of works in lulling you into this idea that actually these guys aren't doing any wrong initially. Like they're just having a great time, having sex all the time. This is actually better. So he's wrong. You're absolutely right. Yep. I'm with you on that. Okay. I'm agreeing with Alex. Second time, second time in three weeks. Because yeah. contact, I'm witness to it. I'm witness. To it. <laughs> I agreed with you on contact as well. I don't know how to react. Um, just be happy. Be proud. Um, the sweet shop. Uh, that's when I immediately recognised something was off. It's the sweets. Yeah. 
Very What's weird. going on with the sweets? <laughs> they're, they're terrifying. Weird There's naked cakes naked and... cake women. <laughs> <laughs> There's goats and hares. And it looks like a lovely sweet shop until you sort of give it a second glance and you realise, oh, hold oh. on, we're not in Kansas anymore. There's something up here. I mean, you don't need sex ed at school. You just need a pagan sweet shop because you could <laughs> learn so much about anatomy in there. Yep. The Green Man Inn, uh, the pub where he's staying. Um, one of these pubs where the music and the talking all stops when he enters. Personally, a bit, a bit like American Wealth in London. Exactly. I mean, they, they, Sorry, yeah. no, had the same thing. Um, yeah. Well, I, th- I think it, it looked like a good place to go for a night out. It looked like a complete it? laugh. It looked you know, like a right laugh. Me- remember pubs? Remember that? New- <laughs> remember, remember, pubs? remember that? Remember that weird New Year's Eve we had on Croydon? In Croydon, yeah. a bit like that. It looked like a typical night down the Phoenix. Didn't it? <laughs> yeah. you know, people hoisting each other. And anyway, and you, you've got the landlord. Uh, Played by Lindsay Kemp. Camp, campers Christmas. Campers Christmas. Um, Hilarious. Um, you know, you know about Lindsay Kemp. Um, yes, do tell. Dancer, uh, actor, mime. Yes. Um, trained Kate Bush. Uh, she trained Kate and David Bowie. And, Bowie. and, and yeah. had a had a thing with Bowie. They were lovers. Oh. Yeah, famously that. So um, he's an interesting bloke with interesting stories. But <laughs> I love the fact you added fame. Famously, that's out there. That is, I, I am not revealing something to move us up those podcast charts. But, but, but what, a, what a beautiful daughter he had in the film. He did. All right, let's, let's get on to the landlord's daughter, Willow, then. Um, so the local, we meet her, played by Britt Eklund, um, and the locals start singing about her being a, a strumpet and, and giving them a woody. And they sing about what's between her legs, and she loves it. And her dad bloody loves it. He is cracking up at all this. And I loved it right up until the giant guy with the massive beard in the kilt does that oomph, yeah. Yeah. oomph, oomph yeah. behind her to the bang of the drum. Yeah. And at that point, I went, ah, that's yeah. too much. Oh, it's yeah. too much. At that point, yeah. you should go, come on. I, if I was going to pick anyone in here, I'd, re- I'd, go for, I'd go for my dad over you, because look at the state of you. <laughs> now, uh, the women in this film, do you think they're being empowered by their sexuality in this film, or are they, as I said earlier, maybe treated like objects? Mm. Where's Vicky? I, I, <laughs> Where's Vicky? I, I think it's a bit of, bit of both. I think Britt Eklund in the film, she, she does feel empowered or she looks empowered, don't you think, or not? I think she's enjoying I think, like you say, she's yeah. enjoying that. Yeah. And it's sort of, it's, it all seems very good-natured. It seems like they've created a bawdy song and she's gone, oh, I love this, carry on. It's not like they've gone, mm. we're going to do this. And uh, she's gone, uh, actually, I, you know, that thing between... I wonder how often they sing that song in the pub. <laughs> Is it every night? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, we they got any other song? We get it, the bit between my left toe and my right toe. Yeah, 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 no, I've got it. Yeah, I know what you mean. It, it was but, funny the first time. But interestingly enough, I mean, one of the things we watching the film, it feels like a musical, mm. doesn't it? You could yeah. almost treat the whole film as because there's so many songs. Well, Robin Hardy so said... So many rep- repetitions of, of elements of songs. I think and Robin Hardy... all work brilliantly. Robin yeah, Hardy said br- he was making a... Brilliant. Mu- Robin yeah. Hardy said he was making a musical. I think... Um, Edward Woodward was making a melodrama. Mm. Christopher Lee was making a horror film, mm. and I think this weird mixture is the part of all come together. Yeah, yeah, is, is, and and what what makes the whole thing feel off kilter because it's neither mm. one thing nor the other. But I definitely feel like the women in this village aren't being judged for what they're doing, and they're quite a force mm. of nature. No, I don't think I don't think if you're one of the blokes or on Summer Isle and you're also and you're there and they're like. 
do you want to uh, just uh, go out to the green and uh, and maybe get it on? Because there's loads of other people out there. It seems to be the thing around here. And you go out there and then the woman goes, yeah, all right. You can't then go, oh, look at you. Oh, too easy. I think everyone's kind of happy with the system they've got going here. Yeah. The, I will say that the, the men, the women are better looking than the men on this island. <laughs> Yeah. There are some rough old faces amongst the men, and all the women are stunning. Well, the, uh, the other analogy I had for uh, the green um, the green man in uh, was it's a bit like uh, the cantina on Moss Eisley, because they all look, they're, they're, they're verging on the freakish alien. You've got the giant sort of mammoth alien in the kill. You've got uh, Lindsay Kemp, who looks like some sort of lizard alien behind the bar, all withered. I was like, it's Moss Eisley's cantina. I wasn't going to go that far, but... Sorry if any of the actors in that film are listening. Um, you mentioned the shagging on the grass outside the pub. I think that's in the final cut. I'm not 100% if that's in the theatrical. But we've also got um, naked woman sitting on grave crying. Was that in your version? Uh, yes. 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 Ran- that was a random element, wasn't it? Just yeah. Do we know? Thrown into the mix. I imagine you've introduced her because you know who that woman is. No. Just oh. found it deeply upsetting. Oh. The, uh, the Just the weird imagery that's thrown in all the way through this film that really messes with your yeah, head. off kilter. Which- yeah. We'll we'll get to it later. Distressing. But in the in the remake, he he tries. He really tries, doesn't he, to to throw in those random disturbing bits. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll tell you who she is in a little bit. I'll keep that a little bit. A little bit of suspense. Oh, I'll tell you who she is because okay. she she's she's it's quite interesting who oh, that woman is. So oh, did you know? Or is it on he knew. He knew and kept it to himself. Yeah. Made me look stupid. No, okay. no. I'm just saying. Uh, I wanted. I thought that's why I was asking because I thought you know I thought you were going to go. I'll tell you who she is. But no, it's coming up. Oh, we've talked about the goddess of love scene. So we've got the maypole. Um, we've got a very strange man singing about shagging while kids <laughs> wave their maypole ribbons. <laughs> Um, <laughs> while kids indoors are talking about a phallus um, and touching it. And um, <laughs> look, look, who's Edward Woodward in this room right now? Yeah. I mean, this, these weird kids talking about a phallus. Well, it's degeneracy, it's indecency, and it's the corruption of the young. That's mm. what our Howie is saying. It's, a, it's an unusual approach to teaching. It's free thinking. These are free thinking people. I mean, I, at no point did I... I think there was anything wrong with this. I mean, to me, he comes across as a guy with a stick of his ass who is completely unaccepting of the idea that people aren't following his doctrine and yep. his religious beliefs. And um, there's a there's a more recent documentary on the Blu-ray that gets famous fans uh, talking about the film. And Ben Wheatley, who directed Kill List, which has some parallels with this film, um, he's definitely like he makes me laugh in that. He's very much against Howie. And on the side of the villagers, and very happy when Howie gets killed at the end. He said, "I was, I wanted him to die." Typical Ben. Um, but you say it's free thinking, but I would say when Howie finds Rowan's desk uh, and what he finds inside it, that beetle is anything but free. So we've got a beetle on a string tied to a nail, going round and round and round in a circle. So this is foreshadowing because this is what's happening to Howie. Oh, yeah. That's what they're doing to him. Clever stuff. Yeah. Um, and I'll be honest, I'm quite sh- I was quite shocked watching it this time. How he does free that beetle. He just slams the desk shut and goes off. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, maybe he does deserve to die. He's so upset about what's happened to that poor beetle, but he doesn't rescue it. That's true. I didn't, I didn't think of that, yeah. Um, we got some disturbing imagery in the graveyard. We've got um, a ruined church and a woman with an egg in one hand and uh, breastfeeding a baby in the other. Yeah, I did a bit of digging about that because I was like, "That's got to be." <laughs> I bet you did. Because uh, was it Anthony? Anthony Schaefer did a lot of research about uh, paganism, and 
in preparation for this film. So a lot of the imagery and a lot of what you see is based on historic cool. examples. Yeah. And the uh, the egg thing is related to Easter, which goes back to um, pre-Christian beliefs, which is where the pagans, uh, they had a, a feast in honour of the goddess Astara, uh, which then became Easter because what the Romans did, and this is where it all gets quite interesting, the Roman Emperor Constantine basically was like, I've converted to Christianity Everyone here is still a fucking pagan. So how on earth am I going to create Christians out of them without causing some kind of massive civil unrest? So what he did was just start to gradually work in pagan ceremonies to the Christian religion. So this worshipping of the goddess Astara became Easter. And then eventually people were like, oh, okay, so it's sort of a similar thing. And then he just went, and if you worship any other god now, I kill you. Oh, wow. And that's how it happened, yeah. Wow, a bit of education. He's really read into it, hasn't he? Yeah, I'm impressed. Um, we find Rowan's grave. Uh, there is a tree growing on her grave, and apparently her navel is hanging from it. Is that what, I couldn't work out what he said. No, I it's, listened to it about three times. I couldn't we, understand when it. We were watching as well. What, what was what he say? Yeah. yeah. Uh, nasty. Nasty. Uh, then we, find, we meet a girl with a sore throat. Has anyone oh. ever put a frog in your mouth when you've got a sore throat? Not, not to date, but <laughs> having seen the film again, I'm thinking about maybe that's a good idea. Yeah. I mean, if the evidence is when it comes back out, they go, see, it's got your sore throat, it's croaking. I'd be like, it's a frog. I don't believe you. They croak anyway. It seems like very basic medical care. Uh, Howie's heading up to um, Lord Summer Isle's uh, house. I noticed just in out of his window, you see a penis hedge. Did you spot the penis hedge? <laughs> no. You mean uh, penis topiary? Um, yeah, there was a. It's a, a big... todger topiary. Oh. The only reason I said it was I'd come up with todger topiary. Um, <laughs> We get the fire jump, which is some nude or nearly nude women singing while jumping over a fire. Well, they're not going to jump with their clothes on, are they? <laughs> I trust the sight of the young people refreshes you. Yeah. <laughs> but this is the thing. This is why, at this point, you're like, especially with the speech that he's about to give, yeah. you're like, I kind of get it, because the whole thing seems to be sort of pointing out that ultimately, like, what Christianity has done is make loads of fun sex stuff taboo. And gone, that's you can't do that anymore. And this basically goes, y you should and you can because it's just sex and it's just your body and just have fun with it mm -hmm. and have fun generally. And at that point, you go, fucking damn right, Christopher mm. Lee. Yeah. Have you ever tried jumping over a fire with your balls? Or whatever hanging out. I don't think I have. No. <laughs> Do you mean whatever? Like we're, we're not whatever. sure. We're not sure what's down there. Yeah. Your balls. Or whatever you have, Chris. No. Have you, Paul? No. No. Not. That felt not, like not a leading recently. question. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so we meet. We meet Lord Summerall forty minutes in, and I mean the hair is good, isn't it? Because oh, we've always amazing. seen Christopher Lee with the slick black hair. Mm. And but so it's just this huge buffon. His hair's fantastic. It's not but, his hair, though, is it? But it gets more fantastic at the end when, when his hair becomes the sun, when he's done... Oh, that's... Yeah. What so hair is he, spectacular. He said, it's not my hair. It's supposed to represent the rays of the sun, the yep. golden blonde, the leonine wig. It comes from the emblem of Summer Isle. It's all very symbolic, representing Nuada, their god of sun. But quite obviously, it's not my own hair. It's a wig. <laughs> so Lord Summerisle <laughs> believes that Christianity's God 
Um, can't it. complain because <laughs> he had his chance and in modern parlance blew it, which great. is a great line. Great line. Uh, and then we get a bit of his story. Shall I, I'll read you a little bit of, of the history of this island because this is the most I've ever paid attention to it. Um, so last century, or the century before last, I guess now, uh, the islanders were starving. And in 1868, his grandfather bought the barren island and began to change things. He was a scientist, an agronomist, a free thinker. And he came because of the unique combination of volcanic soil and the warm Gulf Stream that surrounded it. So he believed he could grow new strains of fruit, but he needed to rouse the people from their apathy. And I think that's the key. So he gave them back their joyous old gods. And a result of that worship, the barren island would burgeon uh, to begin with they worked for him because he fed and clothed them but when the trees started fruiting the ministers fled the island and the people were convinced then his father and he too learned to love nature and fear it and rely on it and appease it with music and drama and ritual which i feel like is telling us they were just a family of con artists really <laughs> who have made this up and obviously it's made up well i think it's made up but they made it up to keep these people happy to keep them in their place and to keep them working give them a bit of sex Give them a bit, give them something to worship, give them um, some drama, some music, you know, give them parades and they'll be happy. Yeah, I think you're right because there's that bit at the end where Edward Woodward's saying to Christopher Lee, he's like, if they didn't fail because of this reason, they failed because you can't grow fruit on this (laughs) island. They'll fail again next year. And Christopher Lee's argument is... I don't think they will. It's <laughs> <laughs> not science. That's just you going, they won't fail. I know they won't. It's like, uh-huh, all right. And when they do fail next year, what's he going to do? I think he's just going to find someone else to kill and just keep it. Well, the suggestion is, doesn't yeah, that, that was the... Be him. Yeah, yeah. That, I like that bit because it's mm. sort of... No, it doesn't give you any optimism for Edward Wilkin because he's still, uh, like, toast, but... That would have made actually a good sequel, wouldn't it? I think so. As in, you know, Christopher Lee himself having to be... Um, or whatever. Because it's such a throwaway moment, but you're yeah. right. That this idea that the, 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 the townsfolk will turn on him because he's made them this promise yep. and mm. if it doesn't come through with this sacrifice, as Edward Woodward says, it's going to be you. It's yeah. going to be you in The Wicker Man next yep. year, Christopher. I don't believe it will. <laughs> I like your Christopher Lee impression. <laughs> so, tangent here. <laughs> I didn't know this. Probably common knowledge, but if it isn't, uh, I discovered something new about Christopher Lee in my research for this. Did you know Christopher Lee was a heavy metal artist? Yeah. Yes. He never shuts up well, about it. He's singing. Really? Well, yeah. Well, Chris, Christopher Lee used to come, I used to own um, or co-own the cinema store. Oh, yeah. Um, which was movie memorabilia shop. And Christopher would come in almost every week to sell us his autograph, et cetera, et cetera. And he'd regale us with tales of Dracula, et cetera, et cetera. And The Wicker Man was always one of his absolute favourite films that he's ever made. Was, was he pompous? Um, I've got a section here which um, I don't think I'm going to read out called <laughs> Christopher Lee being insufferable. But um, okay, no, he was I, always he was always nice to us. But yeah, very. I mean, he was about eight foot tall. He's, he's very he, imposing. You know. I think you reach a point very where imposing. you become a legend, and yeah. like you 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 kind of get a free pass a little bit. I mean, he comes from a different era and like, mm. because he's so old, you just become more intolerant as you sure. get older. And his yeah. ego was definitely intact right up until the end. But what was his singing like, Ali? Here we go. This is from A Heavy Metal Christmas from Christopher Lee. This is The Little Drummer Boy. (laughs) 
sounds like he's singing at the wrong speed to the music. <laughs> it's it's not far off uh, Shatner's spoken word in terms of uh, misplaced confidence in musical ideas. Um, I'm going to segue now into the bum dance. So our hero Howie is trying to sleep, but Willow, uh, played by Britt Eklund, um, is in the next room and she is singing in the nude about stroking him as gently as a feather and combing his smooth and his head and she's banging on his wall and he on the other side is just about ready to shag that wall isn't yep. he yep. he's spurning her advances <laughs> he's what spurning okay spurning. um but what a song though what a great song uh, is it it's, yeah it's yeah. willow's song isn't yeah it? yeah and it was covered by like sneaker pimps lots of bands have, have done cover versions yeah. of that track Brilliant song. So this is a direct lift. This scene from uh, Ritual by David Pinner, one of the one of the many scenes oh, that he said this is my book, and it's quite um, a specific scene, mm. considering they said they didn't we- take anything from his book. Weirdly enough, without having seen the movie, I, I googled this scene uh, before <laughs> when I was twelve. <laughs> <laughs> Do <laughs> uh, you know, it works for me um, And so there was this controversy around this scene Because, well, Britt Eklund was just basically pissed off about it um, Roman Hardy claims that Britt Eklund um, told him That she had an arse like a ski slope So didn't want to do it So he got a dancer from a local nightclub in Glasgow um, Sent After shooting uh, Britt's upper body from the front He sent Britt off in a taxi And used the double to shoot her from behind in the nude and she was devastated when she found out because she felt like this other woman's bum was much bigger than hers um, and she uh, refuses to answer or send back any fan mail that send the pictures to sign of that bum because it's not her bum. Yeah, she says, so they brought in a body double the one day I was away from set. No one told me, neither before nor after it happened. The first I knew about it was when the film came out and I was in a state of shock. Now, bearing in mind, like... This other bottom does belong to uh, another human being. Uh, It is their bottom, uh, like you say, uh, a Glaswegian stripper uh, from uh, by the name of Lorraine Peters. Mm. Lorraine Peters. Does she do the convention circuit, Alex? I'm not sure if she does, but (laughs) uh, I will certainly find out. Um, Paul's got a glint in his eye. Have you you met Lorraine, (laughs) Paul? It'd be hard to disprove that, wouldn't it? That was my bum in 1973. (laughs) But I mean, I just think. You've got to be delicate when you're talking about another woman's posterior. Yeah. And what Britt Eklund actually said was, um, I shot myself in the foot by not doing it because they put in the biggest, ugliest bottom in the world, which is a little insensitive. And yeah. not true. Yeah. Uh, but also Lorraine Peters is uh, the woman on the grave. Oh, no. Callback. That is Lorraine wow. Peters. Oh. Yeah. That is good. That is good, yeah, Alex. Good. He knew it was coming, you yeah, see. Um, and just uh, sort of slightly connected to this there were rumours that Rod Stewart tried to buy and bury the Wicker Man because he was with Brett Eklund at the time and heard about these nude scenes and didn't want anyone to Perhaps see them he was going to try and buy and bury it in the um, underneath the motorway where the original <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, yeah when you're on the M3 you're driving over Brett Eklund's yeah. bum <laughs> so watching like the slope. watching the film a second time there's a scene in a library 
um, where Howie is learning about the spring ceremony. And that's one of those scenes where, guess what? We're telling you exactly what's going to happen in this film. You better be paying attention. So he's told that these Mayday ceremonies include many alarming characters, a man animal, a hobby horse um, who canters at the head of the procession, charging at the girls, a man woman who is the sinister teaser, who is played by the community leader, and a fool punch, the simpleton who becomes king for a day. And he's even told, even reads out loud that that, that, that the sacrifice is sometimes a human being who was burned in a sacrificial bonfire. Um, Unfortunately, this makes him think that this is what's going to happen to Rowan. So he's not seeing that this is what's Mm. going to befall himself. Um, we got people popping up in bushes with animal masks on. Yeah, that's a bit creepy. I didn't like that. I found that unnerving. Mm. And that's repeated in uh, the, the Wicker Man remake as mm. well. Um, we see the hobby horses in town and it's all sort of happening around him. Um, but he's so desperate to find Rowan. And as Alex says, he's so convinced that he is right and everyone around him is wrong that he's just going towards he's running towards his what do you fate. think what do you think his motivation is because obviously in the sequel they give him a real motivation not the sequel the remake uh with nicholas cage why is he so obsessed uh in this with finding rowan why do you think he doesn't just trust the community or why why is he so persistent in because he's meddling with something he shouldn't be because he thinks he's one step ahead of them right but he knows they're all lying to him and he knows that they're going to kill her and so he's a good christian man who's going to save this little girl's life mm. um he's figured it out in his head the thing i like most is the fact that he does try and leave eventually and yeah. he can't because right. then you, you, it's that it's that age old like horror trope where you're yeah. like, at, at what point do you not sort of go, you know what? This feels like it's getting out of hand. Yeah. I might take my seaplane and fuck off and get back up yeah. or anything else. But guys, what point would you have left the island? Would it have been the cake shop or would it have been the pub or when would you have gone? Well, bearing in mind, I don't share his values. I'd have stuck around forever. I'd have been like, this place is fucking awesome. I, I, would have, I would have probably left just after I'd shagged Willow. There you go. Oh, come on. What? <laughs> oh, are you telling me you wouldn't? I, I feel like someone has to say what Vicky would be saying right now. Yes. Oh, come on. <laughs> um, so we've got a fun scene where he's running around town searching for Rowan. There's Punch and Judy dolls in compromising positions. There's a woman naked in a bath. Um, there's something called that the Salmon of Knowledge. Ingrid Pitts, wasn't it? That was Ingrid, Ingrid Pitts. Pitts. Yep, yep. Yeah. Um, there was the no, Salmon. Not of... just naked in a bath. She's uh, having a little. Having a little. I'm sorry. What? She's having a little. Uh... <laughs> she? She doesn't. She's got her hand between her legs. She's, she's, she's enjoying. I didn't study her. That uh, I think she was. Oh yeah. <laughs> I think. I thought she was keeping her hand warm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right, Edward Woodward. Um, a little girl falls out of a cupboard, seemingly dead, uh, but then cracks up laughing. That is very disturbing when that little girl does that. You know yeah, what? and that occurs again in the remake. It does. It does. <clears throat> um, and he decides. He decides at this point he's going to go for a sleep. <laughs> and while he's having his <laughs> nap, hard day, man. Um, the hand of glory uh, appears in his room, which is a hand, a real hand with flames on the end of each finger. It's a hand candle, which I'm calling a handle. No. That's already in use. Yeah. Um, and Do you then, know what that, that really is? Traditionally, oh, I didn't know all this. I like well, it. Well, I did a little bit of investigation because I'm like, it's a hand. You've turned a hand into a candle. Uh, why? Uh, so traditionally in uh, the pagan rituals, uh, they were made from a severed hand of a thief who had been hanged to death. And they were used to prevent homeowners from waking during a home invasion or robbery. So that's okay. where, what's the, that's wow. the use of a hand of glory, the hand of glory. 
Excellent knowledge. Yeah. Uh, how if there are any burglars listed, I'm not just just in case we get into trouble from the police. I'm not handing out tips to to to, <laughs> to keep people unconscious while you're robbing their homes. This is I don't think it works. And also, you've got to find a hand sp- specifically from a a thief who's been hanged to death. And bearing in mind, you are thieves yourselves using the hand of a thief. The chances are at some point in the future, you may lose a hand. So it's just probably <laughs> ill-advised. Otherwise, it's going to be very ironic and no one yep. wants that in their life. Carry on, Chris. So I'll leave a gap there so we can cut that. <laughs> um, <laughs> so how he dresses as uh, Punch, he dons the costume and suddenly we're in the final straight Ooh. and we meet Christopher Lee in a dress. Hey. Um, Wearing sneakers. Long black hair, a purple dress, yellow sleeves. Um, kind of look like, are they Converse trainers? Yeah. Uh, I was, I'd say Vans, but I don't know if they had Vans back then. <laughs> they look like Vans, but yeah. I thought this is a look you could potentially pull off for Halloween. Uh, uh, Already there. <laughs> Already there. Yeah. I think what's great here, and I, you sort of understand, like, not only why this is Christopher Lee's favourite role, but how good he is in that role. Because oh, fantastic. You look, to, to look at that is to go, wow, you look fucking ridiculous. Mm. And yet his utter conviction in the way he wears that, it, like, you're like, actually, this is, this is pretty bloody scary. Well, Christopher was very well read in paganism and devil worship, et cetera, et cetera. He actually believed in a lot of that stuff. And I think he believes... This is almost like a documentary. Oh, God. Well, yeah. You, what is your favourite, just out of interest, what's your favourite Christopher Lee role of all time? This is, by all accounts, his favourite role of all time. What's, what are yours? I mean, this, 100%. This is your favourite? Yeah, 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 yeah. I think Easy. so. Because he was great as Dracula. I mean, for us growing, us growing up, I think he was the quintessential uh, Dracula. Mm-hmm. He was the image that you immediately mm-hmm. pops to, my, to mind. But in this, I think he was brilliant in Wicker Man. Um, uh, mine is uh, his role in Burke and Hare, uh, the Simon Pegg and Andy Serkis uh, mm-hmm. dark comedy, uh, in which he also starred alongside Tim Curry. <laughs> and that completes this week's obligatory Tim Curry reference. <laughs> there we go. Done. I also like him in Deathline, if that's a film we could ever, oh, if I'd ever fantastic. be allowed to do that on the podcast. What's Deathline? I've not heard of that. It's, it's also, it was called Raw Meat in America, and mm. it's about cannibals living on the underground. On oh, the underground. It's, it's a great It's film. a really good film, but really it's, it's weird. Donald Pleasance yeah. being brilliant on that. Yeah. Yeah. Writing that down. Deathline. Recommended to, to the audience, to the listeners. Yeah, Gremlin, yeah. He's also very good in Gremlins 2, the new batch. <laughs> he is. And yeah. Sleepy Hollow, and of course, Lord of the, the Rings. Rings. And yeah. Star Wars. Yeah. He's bloody great. And many more. <laughs> many, many, many more. So we've got the, the sword game now, uh, where the, the swords are going chop, chop, chop. It's quite tense. That Again, this is one of those, the first time you watch it, you're not sure yeah, if he's going to lose his head here. Get, mm. You think he's going to get his head Yeah, because or... actually they focus much more on the swords earlier in the film than the, the sacrificial bonfire. Yeah. And so you're led to believe that this is when he's going to get killed. But he doesn't. Um, but he takes his mask off here and, and, and we start seeing how he's fear because they reveal that that they're ready for their more dreadful sacrifice um the sacrifice to those who command the fruits of the earth and he's found rowan but rowan was in on it all along right Um, what a little shit did i do it right (laughs) yeah got in didn't i yeah, idiot. She says, honestly, she makes me so angry. It's chilling, but it, it's now dawning on Howie what's happening. They tell him the game's over. The 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 hunted have been leading the hunter. Um, it is we who have found you and brought you here and controlled your every thought and every action since you arrived. And uh, they explain that he was the right kind of adult, as I said in the intro. Free will, the power of a king. He's a virgin. He's a fool. And so they tell him you will undergo death and rebirth. 
though the rebirth will not be yours, it will be the crops. Mm -hmm. So it's time to keep his appointment with the wicker man. And we see the pleas of this desperate man juxtaposed with the joy (coughs) on the people Mm. of Summerall. They're so happy and he's so distraught. But what's nice, which I I think, uh, you know, going a bit early, but the remake gets very wrong here, is there's a real naivety in the pagans or in the villagers, the townsfolk, or maybe not naivety, but sort of like a a genuine, like they don't see this as wrong in any way. So strong Mm. is their belief. There's no malice. There's no like, they don't, it doesn't register as them as anything other than appeasing their gods. There's no acknowledgement. We are killing someone here. Mm. And the swaying of the arms as they're going along, you're like, actually, you know, you kind of forgive them because they don't, it's not like they're doing something wrong and they know it. Yep. He's trying to reason with them, but there's no point. Mm-hmm. They've gone beyond that point, and then he sees he sees the wicker man, and that's when we get the famous "Oh God, Oh Jesus Christ, no!" Mm-hmm. and and he's not swearing. Killing me won't bring back your damn apples. But he keeps saying Jesus Christ, but he isn't swearing. Jesus he's, he's speaking to his God, and and his God doesn't hear him. And the reveal of the wicker man is so impressive. Um, Such a powerful image, isn't uh, it? And, and it's interesting. So originally, they, they tried all different designs. They originally filled the eyes with daisies, but it looked too friendly. Of course it would. Um, and then Hello. and then they gave Hello, it... Hello, I'm the wicker man. And then they gave it eyes, but apparently it looked too evil with eyes. What? And so they wow. went with no eyes, no nose, no mouth, just the shape of a head. And they reckoned the blank face um, was ominous in a way that you could read into it whatever you wanted. And so that's mm-hmm. the direction they went in. Mm. Um, and so they needed the right light to shoot the finale speech. Did we say this earlier? They rushed to shoot it and um, Woodward hadn't properly prepared. He didn't know the lines. So he's actually, that incredible performance, he's reading it off chalkboards that are being held up all round. When he's in the Wicker Man. When he's in the Wicker Man. Yeah. And, and he's being pissed on by a goat as well while he's shooting that scene. <laughs> so he had a lot going against him and yet you wouldn't know it because it's a hell of a performance. Yeah, so powerful. Yeah. I bet it smelt great. As well. yeah. <laughs> I mean, if not, I mean, if it had been done for real, you got a, di- a lot, a lot of different meats there. <laughs> he said it was scary um, shooting it though, knowing that this did really potentially happen. Like he felt like he was connected to the past in quite a terrifying way. Apparently, they nearly got in trouble though. I think there was a there was a pause in filming because the townsfolk, the real townsfolk, had been working as extras um, where they were actually shooting this. Uh, were like they thought they were going to burn the goat. And it was a goat that they borrowed from the town that was a town mascot. And so there was a bit of a, like, what the fuck are you doing? And they were like, it's, we're not burning, we're not actually going to burn the goat. So uh, Robin Hardy has gone on record to say no animals did die in that. Yeah, I read that Schaefer, well, no, Schaefer said this on the, one of the documentaries, that the RSPCA got involved and he sent them a letter saying that we will only be killing the cutest, woolliest animals. <laughs> Sicko. Um, yeah, get off the film sets. You've been here too long. You've been here too long. You're not in the so, Wicker Man. And I had the subtitles on to properly see what they were singing. And so he's screaming while they're singing about cows mooing and cuckoos cuckooing. Mm. It's really disturbing, this juxtaposition. And then that's it. The head falls of the Wicker Man. He's burned to death. The sun's setting. And you've got this mm. perfect final shot that's yep. just devastating. And so 
Uh, unsurprisingly, there was, uh, uh, you know, when EMI got hold of this and, uh, as you mentioned earlier, earlier all the, the changes that they wanted to implement, mm. one of the changes suggested was, uh, unsurprisingly, uh, a more upbeat uh, ending oh, wow. uh, in which Howie's life is saved and the plan was, uh, that was suggested was that torrential rain just happened and put out the fire that was consuming the wicker man. Uh, oh, dear. Yeah, Robin Hardy uh, apparently flatly refused this proposal, as you would imagine. <laughs> uh, but the first time I watched it, I did think he was going to, there would be some reprieve. Really? Yeah, it would have been the wrong yeah. ending, but I, th- I think it was just through desperation as a okay. viewer, not wanting, unlike Ben Wheatley, I didn't want him to die. Mm. I thought that watching the remake, because mm. I was like, I wonder if mm. they've if they've gone, they've really Hollywoodized this and at the 11th hour, Nicolas sure. Cage is just going to kick out, well, not kick because he's got no legs but like crawl out of the wicker man and sort of have his vengeance i've got some uh quotes that back up a couple of things you said alex um tony schaefer said uh of this film of, of this whole idea i look forward to the day when we are pagans again i think we'd have a much better time of it i think we'd have a lot more fun Damn right. And the director, Robin Hardy, said um, the idea that that rather happy singing, lovely pagan society could come back and the only price was we'd have to burn the occasional policeman. It would be pretty good. So the people that made The Wicker Man really got into the swing of this. There's an interesting quote. I'm not sure who I can attribute it to because I didn't write it down, but it was about uh, how when two opposing uh, religious ideologies uh, collide and there is no, there's just no way of uh, one winning, as happens here between Christopher Lee mm-hmm. and um, Edward Woodward, that no one can win this argument because they are both so set in their belief systems that the only winner in that situation in religion in general is whoever has the most muscle uh, which works in this film because obviously he's got an army of townsfolk and it's just one cop so that wins out so what do you know about the sequel, uh, if anything, that Anthony Schaefer wrote, Paul? So I'm not talking about The Wicker Tree, but what Anthony no, Schaefer wrote in 1989. No, I don't know anything about that. We, we premiered The Wicker Tree film at Fright Fest many, well, many, many I wasn't going to talk about that, but how was The Wicker Tree? Um, it's not great. But you programmed it at your festival. <laughs> <laughs> but we had Robin and he was amazing yeah. as a guest. And of course, it's a film that everybody wanted to see. Yeah. It wasn't great. I no. mean, it's worth seeking out. It's not a total disaster. I was interested in seeing it until I think I spoke to you in Cannes. Yeah. The trailer's great. Yeah. The trailer makes yeah. it look really good, and it also makes it look like Christopher Lee might actually be in the movie for longer than about 30 seconds. <laughs> yeah. And then, then he was working on a third one as well, wasn't he? He Before was. Before he died. And then also, for many years, he was trying to do like a, a, a theme park, mm-hmm. a historical theme park. Really? Based around the Wicker Man, et cetera, et cetera. In the UK, he was going to try and, like a Disneyland, but wow, go along and be burnt or whatever. <laughs> oh, Fun for all the no, family. Just no, leave, it, leave your clothes at the door. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's a I, pagan theme park. But you know there's a Wicker Man roller coaster at Alton Towers, don't you? That must have been the genesis of it. That yeah, tw- two, yeah, two years ago in in, tw- in March 2018, it's a, it's a it's a wooden roller coaster that features a six story wicker man structure that the train passes through three times as it bursts into flames. I love it. Lovely for the kids. <clears throat> so the 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 sequel you're talking about is yeah. the the Loathly Worm. Yeah. Right. So this is the uh, this is the synopsis. It was a 30 page film script treatment, uh, the Lonesome Lambton Worm. It was going to be a direct sequel. Um, it would have been more fantastical in subject matter than the original film 
and relied more heavily on special effects. In this continuation of the story, which begins immediately after the ending of the first film, Sergeant Howie is rescued from the burning wicker man by a group of police officers from the mainland. Howie sets out to bring Lord Summerall and his pagan followers to justice, but becomes embroiled in a series of challenges which pit the old gods against his own Christian faith. The script culminates in a climactic battle between Howie and a fire-breathing dragon. I love it. <laughs> the titular Lambton worm and ends with a suicidal Howie plunging to his death from a cliff while tied to two large eagles. <laughs> Sorry. Fantastic. You can laugh, it's fine. It's not, it's not happening. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I think Hardy, when asked about it, said, yes, I read it, it was shit. I'm not doing it. <laughs> um, uh, but the only other thing I'll really say is, is, is what the Wicker Man inspired because... Um, we got a roller coaster. Mm-hmm. I think the Burning Man Festival mm-hmm. owes something yep. to it, um, where people can listen to techno and pretend they are in Mad Max. That's, that's a, mm-hmm. <laughs> said by a man who has never been to the Burning Man Festival. Yep. Apparently, uh, people there uh, <laughs> listen to techno music. Uh, <laughs> they dress in Mad Max uh, the, apparel. <laughs> the Beltane Festival in Scotland celebrates all these pagan rituals now. Uh, it's popular with Wicker Man fans. But I'd also see, think that another thing really is is the films and TV. I mean, without Wicker Man, we might not have a kill list. We might not have a Midsummer. We might not have a Hot Fuzz. And, Mm. you know, some of my favourite bits in The League of Gentlemen owe a lot to The Wicker Man. So we got a lot of great horror from this, but also some really good comedy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And that's, I think that's... That's my that's that, that was my problem yep. uh, watching this. In that I've come to it so late to watch it for the first time for this podcast. Mm. I have uh, just sort of seen uh, some of like the ideas that are in the Wicker Man, you know, that have um, through osmosis filtered out into cinema in general. So it was familiar, more familiar than it would have been had I watched it originally. And, and yeah. have you seen the Radiohead Burn the Witch? Uh, music promo, which is the the Camberwick Green version of the Wicker Man. Mm. Oh, no, it's really, really good. We'll yeah. stick it. We'll stick it on the old uh, Clashboard Twitter, but it's good. Yeah, cool. Um, right, any more for any more, or shall we do the bits? Let's do the bloody bits. All right, I'll start with Alex. To give Paul more thinking time. What is your favourite scene in the Wicker Man, Alex? A. Uh, so obviously the burning of the Wicker Man itself and Edward Woodward's death within it is is probably the most shocking. Because, again, I knew it was coming. It wasn't that shocking for me. The greatest scene, and I've been listening to this on repeat since uh, I watched the film. I found it on YouTube. If you loved it as much as me, if you watched The Wicker Man for the first time in preparation for this podcast and you went, oh, that's a wonderful scene. Uh, It's this moment, uh, which is the greatest song ever. And we mentioned it without mentioning the actual song. It's the Maypole scene. Have a listen. In the woods there grew a tree And a fine, fine tree was he Here we go And on that tree there was a limb And on that limb there was a branch And on that branch there was a limb Alex is doing the uh, the dance And in that egg there was a bird And all the children gyrating It's so creepy Wait, wait for him I'll turn it off in a minute So good Break it down. Okay. okay, that's enough of that. How good is that Maypole song? I know we haven't really touched on the music. No, I, we haven't. But it's like, 
I started off and I was like, oh, I'm not going to be able to deal with this folk music. And then I started thinking maybe because folk music, you know, hadn't become a laughing stock as much as it has through comedy and parody in the subsequent years, it wasn't as laughable watching this with a 2020 mm. lens going, oh, fucking folk music. But then I started to get into it. That's why that's one of my favourite moments because actually it's... It just it, it's it's so off kilter. Do anything yep. you've seen in a film before? And it's, it's Paul Giovanni who did the music mm. for this film. Sorry, um, yeah, I should say that I do have that written down. Paul Giovanni is actually my uh, my uh, uh, one of my best scenes, guys. Paul, the best scene has to be the the ultimate scene, the end sequence. The so powerful. No matter how many times you see the film, it just strikes you when he first claps eyes on the Wicker Man and his destiny, his fate. That's terrifying, brilliant. Hairs up the back of your neck. Yeah, I'm the same. It made me feel sick first time I watched it. It made me feel like I've been punched in the stomach. Yeah. It made me, I think it traumatised me genuinely. Mm. It made me, so, I've watched this when I was about 15, and, and like it just makes you see the, the power of film sometimes, mm. that just how much this got under my skin. And then watching it again this week, I don't know, I felt real despair watching it. Mm. And I don't know if it was because of the film or because of what's happening in the world or because I trapped a nerve in my neck mm. the day before and I was in quite a lot of pain watching it. But I just felt really depressed watching it. I, just, mm. I think it's an all-timer uh, as endings yeah. go as well. So, uh, yeah, that's my one as well. Uh, MVW, most valuable whatever, Paul. So this could be an actor, character, uh, a hairstyle, whatever. A hairstyle, well, it's got to be Christopher Lee in, <laughs> okay. the, in, the, in the final sequences. <laughs> Christopher Lee's wig. Um, where it, it literally becomes the sun, doesn't it? Because <laughs> yep. you see him earlier and his wig's down. It's like a normal, yeah. normal hairpiece. Then it just becomes all manner of brilliance, doesn't it, when he's in that. Wow, so you really did. You really are going for a hairstyle. I just love that. (laughs) I didn't realize I was setting that up. (laughs) Bewitching. Love it. But that's the right word. Honestly, it's hypnotic. You end up sort of staring at each sort of strand as it it waves rhythmically as they swing their arms, the hair waves with it, and you're like, I'd follow that hair to the ends of the earth. Oh, does that mean I have to watch it again? I've not really noticed it properly. (laughs) I can't watch it again. (laughs) Alex? Uh, Edward Woodward. Uh, I think he's great in this. Um, I don't really know him from anything else. Uh, Mm. He's not, despite, you know, I sort of read... Callum? Was he Callum? Yeah, that's right. I did my Callum bit earlier, but yeah. Was he he the six... uh, No, um... What was he in America? He was in a big American TV series. The Equalizer. The Equalizer. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. The Equalizer, sorry. Uh, so, yeah, but I just I sort of come to him in this. He's such an interesting sort of, in inverted commas, hero slash hmm. anti-hero because by, it's like only by the end do you realise what danger he's been in and how you wouldn't wish that on him. Uh, you wouldn't wish someone on anyone being burned uh, inside a giant faceless wooden man. But before that, you're sort of like, God, this guy's a dick. And, hmm. like, you, you know, so... You almost feel guilty as the viewer by the end because, and this is all in his performance, like because you've sort of gone, grow up, stop being such. Why these people are just having fun, and you're like, actually, I'm so sorry, I, you're dying. Okay, I feel bad on my sofa. So yeah, I, I think he's great. Good choice. Uh, I, I want to briefly talk about an extra that I mentioned earlier on the Blu-ray. It's called the Famous Fans Featurette, um, worshiping the Wicker Man. And I want, I'm bringing that up because the talking heads are fantastic. They've got, um, it's Ben Wheatley's one of them, um, Eli Roth, and what does it say? Oh, Chris Tilly. Yeah, Chris Tilly's on that feature. <laughs> so, first and foremost, I'd like to recommend that. I didn't see him, him have a go at me about Land yeah, of the Dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think we should give some credit to the Beatle. That was a tough gig. Yeah. Uh, but I'm with you, Alex. I'm going for Edward Woodward. And it's lovely. He's not with us anymore, but on the Blu ray, he talks about, he's so 
proud of this. And he said, I'm really proud to have done something that that will last. And Mm -hmm. he really has. And part of that is down to his performance. And what would you change if you could change anything, Paul? Well, we've already talked about changing the ending. That's the most obvious thing, isn't it? But the ending is just perfect as Mm. it is. I don't know. That's a really hard question, isn't it? Because there's nothing, unless you change the entire structure of the film, there's nothing you could change because it all fits together brilliantly as a perfect puzzle. Okay. So if uh, Edward Woodward was enticed by Brit Eklund to go into the bedroom, etc., then everything changes. The entire film is of totally different. No. I'm, so. with, I'm, with, I'm, with, I'm with Paul on this, in the sense that it really... I had to go through uh, scenes uh, of the film. I wasn't going to be able to watch the whole film again, but I had to go through scenes of the film mm. on YouTube to sort of actually sort of look at whether there was something that mm. really stuck out. And I think the problem with trying to pick a change in this film is because it operates on such its own like law of yeah. cinema that you sort of go structurally, oh, I mean, I might change it, and it, you can't because right. it's just, it's it, it's, its own thing. It's like thing. a house of cards. Mm. If you took one card out, the whole thing could just crumble. That said, I do in have... In a Wicker Man style. I do have two. Uh, no, not one. <laughs> not one, but two. Uh, first of all, I, I, I would uh, change the fucking Brit Brick Eklund body double. Uh, not, okay. not for the same reasons Brit Eklund has. I don't have any problem... Would you bring Brit Eklund in now to replace her? <laughs> <laughs> I don't have any problem with Lorraine uh, Peters' uh, derriere like Brit Eklund did. Uh, but it's just so jarring. Buy a better wig. Like, you sort of just... Mm. You watch it and it cuts to her and you're like... Well, who's or that? Oh, don't, don't show her face. You see her face at one point. Yeah, you see the side of her face, and she's wearing a wig that isn't the same colour and twice as long as Britt Eklund's hair in the movie. So I was like, I, it just mm-hmm. took me out of the moment. The other thing I'd change is the minute, and I know I've just said I love the Maypole music because I love the folksy music. There's a bit where he uh, finally discovers uh, Rowan, the little shit, and they go on the chase through the caves and she's like, come this way. And he's like, oh, cool, I fucked it, you. But the music at that point, I could do without. This is the music during the chase scene and it all gets very funky very quickly. <laughs> Try and get your wig. Hurry, Mr. Please, I don't like it here. Check that bass. They're coming. Do you know what they're going to do? Oh, they're I know going what they're to... going to do. Come on, hurry, We've got a chase scene. Get the electric guitar out. Anyway, I could do without that. (laughs) Um, Speaking of music, though, as the only member of the pod who actually likes musicals, I'm glad I snuck one onto the show without you guys realising. There is a second song in the pub, though, that I could really do without. And I've forgotten where it happens in the film. But I th- and I think it's in the final cut. So I'd probably cut out one of the folk songs and it was uh, there was one in there when they're sitting in the back room playing and okay. I could do without that. And I would also get the bloody Wicker Man off the front of all the posters and all the DVDs. <laughs> yes. Let's remove that. Yeah, but that's the powerful selling image, isn't it's, it? I can, it's, you, can't see, I, you can't even see him in it, though. You don't know he's in it. No. I mean, you do know... I mean, it's called the Wicker Man and you've got to imagine that at some point a Wicker Man is going to appear and it's not like they're, they're going... Arrow, Edward Woodward in Wicker Man. You don't know he's in it. You just see this sort of striking image. All right. I think you're wrong. He always tells me my bloody picks at the end are wrong. Just that one. Not always. Sometimes. Sometimes. A lot more recently. A lot lot lately. I know. I'm sorry about that. I'm done. You love each other really. Oh, right then. Hey, are we doing a quiz this week? I never checked. 
Uh, I've got a quiz. You got a quiz. I got a quiz. You got a quiz for Paul and I. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, uh, let's uh, let's it's quiz time. Oh, really? Okay. Mm. Right. Um, this film is about cults. So quiz is about cults. This quiz is about cults. Cool. 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 So I'm going to tell you the name of a cult, and I want you to tell me if it is a fictional cult or a real cult. Ooh. So we're just jumping in here. When yeah, it, you, both, you, both, you both give me an answer for right. each one. Okay. Uh, the Anthill Kids, is that a real or fictional? It sounds fictional to me. I'm going to say real. One point to Alex. Oh, that is they? real. So they are a small these? Canadian doomsday cult from 1977, exercising absolute control over a dozen adults and at least 26 kids, most of whom uh, the leader had fathered with his nine concubines. My kind of guy! <laughs> concubines or binds? The, <laughs> the brethren. Is that a real cult or is that a made-up fictional cult? I think it's got to be real, but Alex is now going to say it's not. Oh, well, it's going to be 2-0. I'm going to say it sounds kind of real. I'm going to go. I'm, I'm, I agree Should with we go Paul. Real? No, it's real. You're both correct. Hey. Uh, founded in 1971, the Brethren is this as a radical group that believes that the only way to prepare for the inevitable end of the world is to purify oneself by giving up all modern comforts and conveniences. That seems to be a real thing for most cult leaders, as in come join this cult, but give give everything. I say yes. I say away. But to to me, I'll look after it uh, for yeah. you, and then I'll make sure it's okay. Yeah, that that's my private jet. Why? The cause is the cause a real? <laughs> and I'm not talking about, it, about the band. The band. Okay. I'm not talking okay. about the band because that it, is, is it, a cult. Is it real? Is it C A U S E? Is that I, fictional or is that real? I I'll, I'll let you go first. Or something. Fictional. I think fictional as well. You're both correct. Uh, bonus point if you can tell me what film it's from. It's a film you definitely both see. Run away. No, it's not the band. Uh, Cause? No. Mm. It Can is. Clues to the film, Chris. Yeah. Um, it might have won an Oscar or two. Oh, my God. It's by sort of maybe the greatest American director at work today. Is it Paul? Yeah. Oh, is it? Is it? Um, not there will be the master. The other one, the master. The master, yes. correct, yeah. Alex. Yeah. Well, I think we both, yeah, we both got it. Yeah, we, yeah. Yeah. He said all right, all right. <laughs> Don't get, no, no one gets a, no one gets a bonus point there. Okay, we, it was a team effort. Okay. You both get. What a bonus do we win? Point. What do we win, Chris? You wait and see. Okay. Um, the uh, <laughs> the t-shirt off your back. <laughs> the cult of thorn. I feel that's real. I I think fake. Correct. Can you tell me what film it's from? The cult of thorn. That could be. Is it the Omen? Damien. No. Thorn it, Industries and all that kind of stuff? It's Halloween, it? Halloween 6. Oh, which yeah. is probably a spin-off. Of, yeah, okay. Fine. Ancient supernatural demon that dates back to Druids. So back to what we're on. Okay. Uh, all right, halfway through. Children, Wait, of- I've, I've just worked out the rules of this quiz. So if it's in a film, it's fake. And if it's uh, not in a film, it's real. Yeah. Right, okay. Uh, so film cults aren't real cults. Okay. Got you. Children of God. Uh, that's a real cult in the real world. I think that's real. Yeah, it? yeah. Both correct. Yeah. Um, can you tell me any members? Former members, rather. Madonna? No, uh, River and Joaquin Phoenix and Rose McGowan. Uh, nasty, nasty business. The Freedomites. I think that's fake. Yeah. It's real. Oh, You're both really? wrong. Yeah, from 1902, they believed in nudity and anarchy. They would burn and bomb buildings in their birthday suits, which sounds risky to me. Uh, Alex is signing up as we speak. <laughs> I'm just writing down things to Google. Freedomites. Uh, the the yeah. Necromonger Empire. <laughs> <laughs> I wish it was real, yeah. but it's got to be a fake. I'm going to say real because it might be. One I of wish those. it was real. 
It is fictional. Ah, point to Paul. Good. Do you know, Bo's point, can you tell me the film? The Necromunga Empire. Sounds good, doesn't it? Sounds like something from either some sort of fantasy, yeah. maybe Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, close. It is Chronicles of Riddick. Oh, oh, oh yeah, yeah! But, you, uh, you keep what you kill. That's that, their that thing. masterpiece. I love uh, that movie. That is, that is one of the most tragic things in sci-fi cinema is the fact that that film uh, didn't do well and didn't turn into a trilogy. Yeah, but Pitch Black was the first one was so good. Pitch Black was good, yeah. but the Chronicles of Riddick just expanded this world. I've, mm. I've got a lot of time for the Chronicles of Riddick. Yep. Judy Dench, great. Don't feel like we have to ever do it do it on the show. Though. Okay, that would well, be I'm, fine. I'm just. Uh, first, f- the final one. First Church of the Alpha Omega Bomb. Uh, I think that's fake. Oh, I think. And that's... I think I know which which film it's from. I think it's fake, but I don't think it's from a film. I think it's fake. I think it's from uh, Planet of the Apes. Paul is our winner. Oh! Beneath the Planet of the Apes, Paul. Good knowledge at the end. Well played, Paul. Congratulations. Oh, guests. Right. Uh, well, that is us uh, done on this episode. Uh, but we have to look ahead. Uh, first of all, we're looking ahead to next week's films. It's week two of our special Clash of the Titles Halloween Countdown, and it's Chris's choices. So, Chris, tell me what your clue is for next week's pairing. Idle Hands are the Devil's Workshop. Idle Hands are the Devil's Workshop. Once again, I don't know why I write them down, but I've written it down. Okay, Idle Hands are the Devil's Workshop. That is your clue for next week's Halloween pairing and looking even further ahead this Halloween. Our final Halloween pairing in the final week of October, just before Halloween itself, and touch wood, we all get to celebrate it in some fun way, is our first ever listener poll to decide which pairing we do. Chris, tell us more. Yeah, we're going to let you pick from a few choices that we're going to stick on Twitter in a poll. That poll's going to be up for five days. Uh, and so we're each putting forward a pairing and we want you to pick the one you want to hear. And we're going with the theme of witches. witches. So, um, Alex, witches. do you want to say what your witch films are? Your Yeah, I do. My pairing is... The Witches, very witchy as the name implies, The Witches, ladies and gentlemen, versus a film I've never seen, and I really don't think I'm going to enjoy it, but it seems to be one of those films that I've been repeatedly told by friends over the years, oh my God, we have to watch this film. And that film is Hocus Pocus. Hocus Pocus. So I'm pitching The Witches, the Roald Dahl adaptation, versus Hocus Pocus, which I haven't seen. So that's the pairing I'd like you to vote for from my corner. And uh, Vicky is going in the direction of Teen Witches. She is pitting the film Teen Witch from the 1980s with The Craft. Okay. And I am going in the direction of Musical Witches. So my films are The Wizard of Oz versus Bedknobs and Broomsticks. Paul, right off the bat, which would you go for out of those three pairings? I think, so again, it was, what was it? The Wizard of Oz. And Wizard of Oz and Bedknobs, Bed Team Nobs. Witch and the Craft, The Witches and Hocus Pocus. Oh, the craft. <sighs> Do you see? Sorry, I, guys. No, Sorry. I'm, a bit, I'm a bit torn between mine and Vicky's. I don't want Chris's, but I... Uh, I've never seen The Craft, and again, yeah. it's another movie that I'm told really I bloody cast. love. Yeah. As Vicky isn't here to pitch it, I did ask her to say why we sh- people oh, should vote I've, for her I've, film. I've never seen Teen Witch. I it's, must admit, I've never seen Teen Witch. It's gloriously 
bad, ah, but okay. glo- in a glorious mm. in a glorious way. Mm. I'm, I might be voting for Vicky. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Vicky texted and she said, I, "I said, why should people vote for your two? She said, "Oh, I can't do an, I can't do an Northern accent because if we no, yeah." I mean, do you mean, can you... Team Witch versus Craft? No, no, I can't do it. Oh, right, you mean, can you do it like that? I I thought you meant, should I? (laughs) She said, because if witches are representative of female power, then teenage female witches are the most fun way to explore that power, marrying as they do, deep-rooted allegory with a naturally rebellious nature and unfocused, purer talents. Plus, have you ever fucking seen the craft? It's fucking amazing. There you go. Good stuff. Sold as seen. Right, those will be going up on Twitter for you to vote for which pairing we do in our final build-up to the greatest festival of the year, Halloween. Uh, that is it for this show. And um, Paul, you are going to come back and join us as we go through the Wicker Man remake on Thursday, aren't you? Yes, I am. I for my sins. Yes. I can't wait. That's going to be an interesting, let's just say interesting mm-hmm. show. Uh, until then, thank you so much for listening. Don't forget, you can get in touch with us on Twitter at ClashPod or uh, you can email us show at ClashPod.com. Please do a rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify or other. It is hugely appreciated. Back on Thursday with Nicolas Cage and some beans. Bye-bye. This was a Stakhanov production and part of the Acast Creative Network.